This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Welcome back to another Share Your Light episode. And these are our chance to showcase people in our listening audience who are stepping more fully into their power, their light, their purpose. They're finding what's really calling their heart and seeing how they can make a difference. And today we're welcoming Jennifer Sanders. Jennifer is a trauma-informed coach who specializes in how past trauma impacts a person's physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. Jennifer has extensive grief training and is a certified grief support specialist. She's also an accredited death doula. While working in an administrative capacity at an assisted living facility during the COVID pandemic, Jennifer became acutely aware of the lack of support services and grief training for our healthcare workers. The level of grief and trauma they face every day is often seen as just part of the job. Jennifer is passionate about instituting grief training for healthcare professionals. Her goal is to help challenge and shift the societal expectations of how to deal with bereavement and loss. Jennifer utilizes a beautiful blend of compassion, insight, and humor to help her clients navigate death, grief, loss, and bereavement. Her natural abilities as an intuitive medium gives Jennifer a deeper level of understanding and clarity. She helps identify how trauma can shape a person's life and emotions while providing a foundation to foster deep healing through developing strategies and exercises that empower people on their healing journey. So welcome, Jennifer. Hey, Denise. How are you today? I'm okay. Thank you. Thank you for doing this with me because I think right now, so many people are at a loss of how to process through grief, through trauma, and they're ready for some changes to take place in their life. So not only on a personal level, but also globally, we're being so impacted with so much turmoil and unrest. I can definitely agree. And and grief is not only about death. Maybe I should just start by saying that, that there's so much trauma in the world that sometimes it just looks like it's normal. For people. One of my favorite sayings that uh, that my daughter shares is for, for my dad, it was a, a Tuesday afternoon, but for me, it was a traumatic experience. It's really weird how society looks at it. It is. And, and it's also, you, you're right, it's an individual process. You know, when you were speaking, what, what um, popped into my head is dysfunction. Like my level of dysfunction, someone might see as really, oh my gosh, how did you get through that? Whereas I'm saying, you know, you, you buck up and you deal with it. So I, I think that grief is is the same way. It's very insidious that it can become normalized in our lives. And all of a sudden we don't realize the physical, emotional, and spiritual impact it's actually having on us. So what led you into this, this work was specializing in grief? Well, first of all, nobody wants to talk about it. And I think I told you before, there is 100% chance of mortality. <laughs> Everybody faces it, but nobody, and I'm not going to say nobody, but you don't want to be the one in the room talking about death because you're just going to be like, um, you know, you, they're going to look the other way. They're not going to want to hold a conversation with you. I want to bring some normalcy to, to grief, but I think what started all of it was um, after I lost my mother because it was the hardest thing that I had to go through because I wasn't fully expecting it. And I did lose her to COVID along with a lot of other people. So I know that I'm not alone, but with losing her to COVID and then the isolation on top of everything, it was a really, it was a dark, dark place to be. 
I started just trying to figure out what was going to make sense, what was going to make me feel better. And I know that I am, I'm a healer, not that I can heal someone's grief, but I think that I could walk with them through it. Maybe shed a little bit of light and let them know that, hey, it's going to be okay for you to laugh again. And it's going to be okay for you to smile again. I think that that's really, really so vital. And the way you described it was perfect. How do we deal with this? How do we see death as a transition and just part of life and not something to be feared or something to avoid? And I know that that's a big premise in your work as well, is how to help people face loss and grief with as much dignity and grace as possible. Exactly. It's, and especially with the societal norms. I believe I heard on a on um, a previous podcast that I think Samantha said she couldn't believe they gave you, what, three to five days of bereavement pay? Yeah, because in three to five days, you're expected to go back to work and be completely normal. And there is nothing in your life that is normal after three to five days. My wonderful husband even made the comment, you know, whenever you give birth, you get at least six weeks uh, pay for, for a baby. Why can't they give you six weeks pay for a death? So even though some workplaces do offer programs, you've done some research around that as well? Yes. So I found a study and I want to say it was from AARP. I can't remember right off. Only about 5% of people, employed people that have the EAP programs, you actually utilize those services. And they don't want to use those services. Uh, not The 95% that don't utilize those services don't use those services because they don't want to talk to a stranger. So that's really, um, that's where the grief support and peer support comes into play. But they're covering themselves by offering the programs that people may not utilize because of a lack of comfort or a lack of, and because of the vulnerability. Grief brings out vul- vulnerability. And you need to have people that you feel safe with in order to be able to express what you're going through. Absolutely. And and that's the thing. They don't feel safe talking to a stranger. No. So, so that's why these programs, they are huge. I mean, they are of a great value, but they're very much underused. Mm-hmm. So what does EAP stand for? Um, that's the Employee Assistance Programs. And a lot of your big corporations have some type of employee assistance programs. Now, I don't know with healthcare specifically, like I said, I know I had to really do some homework just to find those programs for my employees at the time. But yeah, definitely. They are. That is a resource that people could use if they are experiencing grief and want to reach out. Definitely reach out to human resources. Or reach out to me as well. (laughs) Yes. And when I was um, working in a school district, there were uh, a a rash of um, students who chose chose to leave by suicide. And it was very traumatic for the community and for the staff and for the students. And they said, anyone that needs support, this is in place. And they brought in counselors but it was fast. It wasn't ongoing. It was uh, the immediate response. They checked a box and I'm not being disrespectful because I know that they help some people, but that level of trauma, of loss, of overwhelm, especially if you're dealing with with children or in any type of a big institutionalized setting, it doesn't just go away. And And knowing that you have people you feel safe talking to is incredibly important. Yes. And I want to make sure that people know that I want to be a safe person. I want to feel like a safe person for people to talk to as well, because that really is important to people that they feel safe, that they feel heard and acknowledged and validated. That is one of the most important things that anyone experiencing a loss can do is just feel validated and heard. Even if they have to tell that story 20 times about how they lost their father. But there's also the aspect of confidentiality, because sometimes things will come out that people may not see as a traditional 
or expected symptom of grief. So could you touch on that a little bit about what are some ways that grief may manifest? So it can definitely manifest like insomnia, forgetfulness, difficulty concentrating, time loss, headaches, just feeling like a fog. Mm -hmm. Oh, anger, being extremely irritable, sensory overload. There's, I mean, there's a lot of ways that it can manifest. One of the things that that anyone needs to do, if they are experiencing any kind of suicidal thoughts, please, please, please reach out for help. Yes. Yes. So important. Absolutely. Because that is not a normal response to grief. What about impulsivity? I know that a lot of people will suddenly go, you know, they'll spend extravagantly or they'll make some very abrupt changes in their life. And I've always heard the benchmark is to give it a year before you make any major life changes after a major loss or transition in your life, bereavement or or, um, life change. So I'm not using that if you're, you need to relocate from a a bad divorce or something, but more not to make extreme decisions. Yes. Impulsiveness definitely is. It's, it's a normal reaction. If you want to know some abnormal reactions, I can give you that as well. If you're extremely antisocial, isolated, um, self-harm, self-medication, violence against other people, personal hygiene, make sure you're taking care of yourself in that way. That's wonderful because as you were speaking, I was thinking of someone who that's how they uh, expressed their grief was with anger, with violence, with, and I know that they were in pain at the time, but it caused a lot of problems for that person and also their immediate family. So I think that if you, that's another aspect of this. If you know someone who's going through a deep grief of any kind and you feel like they need some support or help, find a way to reach out to them or offer some resources or be kind. That goes back to what you said before, be kind and and compassionate and realize that we really need to look out for each other. We really do. And that's another thing is when people are in those those deep, dark days of of grief, you can't really reason with with people. You can't tell them they're wrong. You can't tell them how to grieve because there's no correct way to grieve. And especially if you're following the stages, you can't follow those either because they're not meant to be linear as well. And they, like we had talked about, they're not meant to follow the normal grief. So what about people that are trapped in grief and they're not, They so it's been 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, and they just keep reliving that same pattern or they, they're, as you said, they're isolating or they're angry or they're, those other um, behaviors are, are being exhibited. Is there something that we can do to, because it's frustrating when we want people to not, God, this sounds so cold, not say, oh, snap out of it, but how do we throw that lifeline to someone who is so mired in that repetitive mindset of what they've lost. So one of the things that I've learned is that if someone keeps doing the loop tape and just keeps staying stuck where they're at, it means they're not fully being heard and validated. There's something, some kind of a disconnect that's going on. I don't know what to tell you to do to get them out of that, but they're going to stay stuck into that in that until that the right person actually hears them and validates their feelings. And that could, I mean, it can take a long time. That same story, you know, once you start diving in deep with, with a person and asking questions like, how did that make you feel? Why did you feel that way? What do you want your life to look like? It can get them, maybe move them from a place of like, okay, this happened and I have to accept it. 
because really that's what you want them to do. You don't want them to get over it. You just want them to accept it and be able to live a functional, a happy, functional life. But you can't make those decisions for a person either. Really vital point in everything that you're saying is, again, we've said this repeatedly, it's an individual journey through grief and how we process that. And we can hold space for people and we can offer and we can listen and we can do all the things from a place of kindness, personal opinion, sometimes it can become a fine line between it almost mirrors a codependent relationship versus a an empowering situation where we're trying to help someone. Even with the kindest intentions, sometimes we may be encouraging people to stay in that place. Maybe encouraging isn't the right word. That's one thing you have to do. You do have to realize when you're helping that person and when they become dependent because you do not want to create a dependent relationship. You know, if you're offering to walk the dog, make sure you know, hey, I'm going to be here to walk the dog and set that time limit for yourself so that if you are the person that's assisting someone in grief, say, hey, I can come over and walk the dog for two weeks. That way, and even if you have to give them a little direction, like, hey, you need to set your timer and walk the dog at two o'clock. Mm-hmm. You're still helping them, but you're also giving them the power back to get that sense of normalcy back. So it's a, a progressive transitionary process from its baby steps. Correct. Okay. Because if, um, and I'll just use this, if, if your husband dies and he was the one that always walked the dog, you might not ever want to walk the dog again. Someone needs to be there to empower you, not be mean, but just say, hey, I can walk the dog at nine. You walk them at two until depending on the friend, you know, they may not want to stay that friend forever. But if if someone's there with you for the long haul, they will see you through it. That's so, so helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. If you go trying to um, squash down your grief, it's going to keep coming back in different ways. That's where the trauma-informed coaching kind of comes into play because you start noticing, okay, you're feeling the effects of grief in your stomach because you're all the time maybe having to go to the bathroom. That's true. For a lot of people, uh, digestive tract issues become really pronounced when they're dealing with grief and they don't make the correlation between the two. Right. And, And it will, it just manifests in other ways when you don't deal with it. So, and that's on a whole nother level that I don't provide, but I do understand how it works. What I love is that you come at all of your work with such a level of compassion. And I was on your website, inappropriategriefcoach.com, and I noticed that you offer other services, but all of it has that thread of compassion through it. So you lost your mom to COVID, and at that same time, you were working in an assisted living facility and as an administrator. So you were not only helping oversee the facility, but also the people who were on the wards taking care of people or in the rooms taking care of people. So how did that lead to wanting to support our healthcare workers in grief and loss? When my building went through our own outbreak, there were several people that I loved that, and I still love dearly, uh, my own son included. They were the actual staff that were tending to all the residents. And I watched their mental health deteriorate and I couldn't do anything about it because there was nothing in place for from our employer at that time to uh, to give them any support as far as for their mental health. And I think what support was in place was buried under a lot of human resources stuff that you would have really had to dig through to find. So it wasn't readily available. And then when I did find the adequate resources, I was told when any of the employees called that they were asked to pay for um, services as well. That just really left me with a bad taste in my mouth, first and foremost. Well, and I remember you sharing with me that you started to do more research and dig around and seeing that most companies, most corporations, businesses have no training in place to help. And and I shared with you before that I've worked in a lot of uh, hospitals, group homes, state institutions, care facilities, and there was 
minimal to no training and you do get attached to the people that are there and you do have compassion and you you get to know them you get to hear their stories you get to or even if they're non-communicative they're another human being that you build an energetic feeling and bond with when they transition or or pass all the focus goes to supporting the family but the the people who were the on the front lines and caring it's just like okay we're going to move someone else in quick next person and i think that that is so so important to to look at because we're asking these kind sensitive intuitive people who are in the healthcare profession to turn it on and off and to not have that time to process or to have the training to understand how they may it may manifest in their body and in their life you're you're exactly right and one of the things that I would have to do is I would have to onboard all of the people. So I would have to bring them in, do their hiring paperwork and set them down for all their trainings. And when they were going through those trainings, it never occurred to me until after I actually left that facility that I never once saw any training about death or grief or what you might experience. Now, what I did see was a lot of how you can the infection control. So, you know, you know how to wash your hands and, and you've known how to do that since at least age five when you went to school. But nobody ever tells these young these young kids that's like, I want to be a nurse. And so they start in at the assisted living facilities or the long-term care facilities on the ground floor. And they just want to love these little old grandmas and grandpas. But nobody says, hey, you know, just be careful. You're going to experience loss during this. They don't even think about it. It's not even mentioned anywhere. And I will tell you this, something that I found out in my trainings, that there's only about 90 minutes worth of training in grad school. And they combine death, dying, and grieving all into that 90-minute segment. Is that a specific modality? or a, a, So you said in graduate school, is that for- Grad school, like a, an LPC. Okay, so okay. specifically, I do know that, that there was only a 90-minute training for an LPC. So it was the professional people are not getting the training that they need to be able to process this, but also to support their staff or their people that are, are, help, are helping them care for all these folks. Correct. When I've been doing the research on, on some... The only thing that that's I think some people have said is that they may have overheard hospice saying, hey, you can reach out to us. But it was never like a formal invitation to, you know, hey, we, we will provide you grief support because you were part of the community and part of this person's life. It was just a comment in passing. So I, I worked night shift in a nursing home when I was in college. I went home for one summer and I worked night shift. And this was before deinstitutionalization and all the other supports that have been put into place. And it, it was by far the hardest job I've ever had in my life. And I've worked a long time in a lot of different capacities. But the 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 throwaway mentality that let's put people in a, a facility and then they don't exist anymore. But the people that I worked with on that on that shift and on that in that building were incredibly kind. They were thoughtful. They were they loved those people dearly. And even to this day, decades later, I can remember the people I worked with. I can remember the clients. I can remember when they passed that sense of loss, that sense of uh, I mean, my default was I would go and I lived by the ocean. Then I would go walk the beach. I would, you know, pray for them. I would, you know, hope that they had a gentle transition, but there was nothing in place. And I to, to hear that that's still the case all this time late, all these years later is really concerning because we we have to take care of each other. We have to take care of our, our people. And and yes, hospice has beautiful, beautiful supports in place to help. But I, my gut feeling is you would need someone who is in the industry and understands what it's really like to be that caretaker in that, in that modality, not as a hospice person. Does that make any sense at all? Absolutely. Because like you said, hospice, they do wonderful, wonderful programs toward end of life, but they're not educating people on 
the experiences that they might face. And maybe they are at the at the hospice organizations. I've, I've not ever worked in hospice directly, um, but they do have beautiful programs and they are well informed. But the hospice, even the hospice coordinators that I've talked with, they say that it is so needed out in the community instead of just in the hospice facilities as far as grief support. A, a couple of dear friends that worked in hospice for years and they, they're they both very kind, loving people. And I can see where they would give such comfort, not only to the person who was transitioning, but also to the family and, and loved ones around. But another, we're, we're focusing a lot on death, on bereavement, on that aspect, but trauma and grief and loss can also show up in a lot of different ways in people's lives, maybe through divorce or job loss, or could you talk on that for a minute of different ways that, that this type of grief can, can show up in our lives? Well, since my cat interrupted us, a pet loss, that is one of the hardest things. And I know that's still death, but to me, that would be one of the hardest things that I would have to go through as well, because I am so in tune with my, my cats. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love animals. So if you would, if you would lose your pet, if you've lost your spouse, even if you've had the nastiest divorce that there is, there's still reasons to grieve over that because surely your entire marriage wasn't all nasty and bad. And there's even things that we don't want to talk about. It may look inappropriate to society. That use of the word inappropriate really exemplifies that grief is an individual journey and we can't compare and we can't, there is no benchmark of check, check, check. I mean, there are the five stages of grief. There's the sixth stage of acceptance that's documented. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful resource, but you're right. One person's divorce versus another's or, or choices that you've made or, And what popped into my head is, you know, transitions in your own life, or maybe the grief of being uh, alienated from your family of origin, or having a a no contact order with, with a child, or there's no limit to how this can manifest and show up in your life. But it doesn't mean it's more or less, just because of what the circumstances are. Absolutely. And I think even like, pregnancy, miscarriages. Some people think you're just supposed to get over, get over everything. And let me just say something. I don't like the term get over grief because if you love somebody, I don't think you can ever just get over it. One of my instructors used a beautiful, well, it's not a beautiful illustration. It's kind of a morbid one, but I'm just going to go ahead and share it because she said I could. She said, let's just imagine that you are, you're in a horrible car crash and you lose your arm. At the time you lose your arm, you're not thinking about, I still have my other arm. You are going to grieve the loss of that arm, regardless. You're not thinking about, I could have, so I'm just putting this back to the baby. You're not thinking about, oh, well, you can have another baby. That's hurtful Mm -hmm. and unhelpful. So, you know, you have to understand that, yes, you're going to have to grieve that situation. And it's not helpful to say, well, at least they didn't suffer. I could go on and on about things that are unhelpful to say to to Mm -hmm. people. And I think that that's a really, really important part of all that you're doing. So one of the best things that that you can do for a person, especially when when they've lost someone, it's almost just like you're in a fog because Mm -hmm. you're not making sense of time. You're not making sense of anything. And if you are that person that is there to support the the person in grief, the best thing you can do is just not make them make a lot of decisions. You know, does the dog need to be walked? Just offer practical things to help to help people. If you're going to ask questions, make it like, how are you eating? How are you sleeping? That way it shows that you're concerned about their well-being. Things like that are really helpful. We want to help, we want to support, but people don't know how. They just don't know how to, you can express condolences, you can 
bring by a casserole. You can do those things that are socially seen as the right thing to do. But that ends, you know, and, and that's always my concern is, you know, for any deep loss or transition, people are right on the forefront for those first that first month or those first several weeks. But the real pain seems to kick in when everybody goes back to their own lives and you're left, whether it's, you know, the, the breakup of a relationship or, or the loss of someone that you love or a pet that you've had as a family member or even, um, and, and I wonder about this, I think that there is some grief in stepping out of who people may have perceived you to be as you accept who you really are. Yes, it's funny that you said that. That's that's actually a topic that I wrote down, loss of self. Mm-hmm. Because and and something else that that I was considering just the other day is everything you lose when you get married. Isn't that a crazy thing to think about? But you know, you do. You lose a lot of yourself when you get married because you have to kind of blend with someone else to make it normal for both of you, not just you or not just them, but um there is a whole world of loss. And if people haven't experienced it, I have I have yet to find one. This is what I love about your work is that you find humor. You find humor and levity and you you raise the vibration with a really heavy topic. I mean, this isn't easy. Grief, loss, bereavement, death. I mean, holy shit, that's not easy stuff to work through for any of us but it is part of our experience being here on the planet. And and I I do giggle every time that you say, you know, there's a 100% mortality rate. It, it's waiting for all of us. I was listening to this woman speak and she was about my age and she was talking about pro-aging versus anti-aging. And she said, are you having adventures? Are you growing and evolving? Are you living your life full? Or are you still stuck in what and, and she brought up exactly what you said. She said, we're all going out. It's waiting for us. It's just a matter of time. And the person who was interviewing her made kind of an uncomfortable state, like, oh, what? where am I supposed to go with that? And I thought about how we have to realize that this is about being alive. This is about healing ourselves so that we can make the most of being here and help other people. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that's one of the one of the things that I want to do during my time here on Earth is to just leave it kinder than I found it. Maybe nobody will care how kind I left it or even if I left it that kind. But if you've been in my presence, you might laugh. I don't know. I make really stupid, inappropriate jokes sometimes. And that's okay. If you are that person, that's okay with that. I want you to laugh. I want, I, and I'm not going to say you're going to laugh immediately at the dumbest joke that I can tell, but I want you to realize it is going to be okay to smile and laugh through that pain. And sometimes that's all you can do is just start laughing as you're crying just to get through it. Because that is key and laughter is healing it, and joy. And, and that's as mediums, we both know this, our people want us to be happy. They want us to find joy again. They want us to find love again. They, I have never in all the decades I've been a medium had anyone come through and say, I want them to be miserable and sad. Never. What about when they were here on earth? There are some people that want people to be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very true. A hundred percent true. But even, even what you said, I know that even years before my mother died, she said, you know, if you're ever on vacation and you get the phone call that I've died, just finish your vacation. And I'm like, how could I even have a good time finishing my vacation? But it was just like, I don't want my death to be a bother, you know, just finish it, come back whenever I'll still be dead. And I'm okay, whatever, mom, but (laughs) far from the reality. (laughs) I had a similar conversation with my sons recently because a topic had come up about passing. And, and I said, I'm not going to be in the shell. I don't really care. I, I don't. And it, and it wasn't 
being dismissive or saying that someone else's choice is because I think that that's another whole and your work as a death doula. People have certain ways they want things to happen at the end of their life. And for some people, it may be more ritual or religious connections or a certain type of um, burial. Or again, as with everything we're talking about, nothing is right or wrong. That's exactly right. So we're we're making light of this and saying it's not going to matter and you know I won't be here but I think that's another part of the 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 process is are we supporting our our loved ones in our own grief so if it's a family passing or if it's the you know the the family cat passed or is everyone getting time and and space to to grieve I think that's a very unique experience for everybody. It also depends on your relationship to the person. It can depend on a lot of other factors. You feel a lot of guilt. You can feel a lot of shame. You lose friends over death, I mean, and grief. And I know that one of the things that I had to personally go through was just, it it was almost like a blame game. Because me and my son, we had a very difficult time with, with my mother's death. Just and and I think it just all stemmed from having just gone through a COVID pandemic and trying to save all these people that had it and then losing her to the thing that she was she protected herself very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just losing her despite all the precautions that she had taken and someone that was in very good health, still working full time, you know. It was it was just hard to wrap your head around. And then with all the other things of not being able to have a funeral, not being so there was just like a lot of things that happened. And now it is more normal normal. But while I'm talking about a funeral, Denise, did you know that the funeral homes have only been around like in the last hundred years or so? Is that not crazy? Because yeah. you would think at this day and time that they had been around forever, but I honestly didn't realize until recently that um, people, I mean, I do know that they had to, uh, the funerals at their homes, but I didn't realize that funeral homes weren't a thing back then as well. Um, the state that I live in is one of the few states that still allows burials without the big uh, encasement that the coffin is supposed to go in. And I know that there's a lot of push here in the States, but also globally for green funerals where there is a natural process of going back to the earth or people may choose cremation or they may choose something else. Uh, But you're right. It's become an industry. And I knew someone that worked in a funeral home years ago. She said, there's a checklist and it's very much and no disrespect to anyone who who is in this industry, but there is a checklist of cost. So, you know, put on makeup and there's a cost associated and all the different things. But equally, there is trying, I'm, I'm thinking two things at the same time, that aspect of the financial, but also there was a woman who I knew who she and her husband ran a, a small town funeral home. And she said, I was always so meticulous to make sure that their hair and their makeup and that when their family saw them, they would see their loved one and have some peace. So I think that there's a duality with the industry. You know, as I shared on the recent episode that I did with Samantha about grief, the conversation show that we did, we've gone in a relatively short period of time from having a person in the front room where people came by the home to visit to having it become a very sterilized environment. And not only that, if I remember correct, I mean, even as 30 years ago, there was still feeling a lot more feeling of community. Mm -hmm. Even like 30 years ago, when I, I remember my grandmother dying and the church was full of people, there were people bringing by food. I mean, and it really did feel like you were supported and now it's just like, let's hurry up, get them buried. Let's, I mean, like it's, 
so fast that it, everything has to happen. I don't know how anybody has time to process anything or make decisions unless they've already been pre-planned and which we could do a whole nother show about doing plans for your funeral and all and what all that stuff entails, because that's a whole nother beast and the aftercare. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that what I really respect greatly is, and this is on your website is that you see all of the work that you do as a partnership of hope, that life is hard, loss is difficult, it, it's painful, but you're giving people the skills and the techniques to release negativity, to work through some loss, and to find that how they can best process what they're going through. So I would you like to talk about what you offer on your site and what you where you see your your practice going? So right now I do offer um, transitional life coaching. And that is if you're in any kind of situation where you need you just feel like you're stuck and you need a way through. That's a great way. Now, I don't I do want to add I don't provide mental health. If you book a call with me or book a session with me and I see that it looks like you may, I, that I couldn't help you, that you're outside of my scope of practice, I can, I can refer you to someone because I am not a mental health clinician. And I just, I want to make that clear. But what I can do is I, if you are willing to hold yourself accountable and meet goals that you make for yourself, we can work together to get you through to where you want to be. Your focus is on presence and future and releasing what's been holding people back, whether that's in their everyday life, any kind of loss. And I think that gift of clarity that sometimes we need someone to hold up the mirror for us or shine a light on those things that we're having a difficult time processing on our own. Anyone who's interested in the, the array of services that you offer, yes, you do the one-on-one -on -one coaching. You have an incredibly strong base of knowledge and experience on a personal and professional level with grief and loss. But there are also, uh, you, have a, you have a really innate ability as an intuitive to work through spiritual coaching as well. So if someone is is a sensitive and an empath, you can blend that in seamlessly with your other work or as an individual offering. Correct. Um, so where can people find you? You can find me at inappropriategriefcoach.com. And yes, I know it's a little bit long and there is a little bit of a story behind that. Well, what is the story? I'd love to hear that. Well, I wrote a little blog about it. And at first I thought, you know, I wanted to be the inappropriate grief coach just because of my inappropriate sense of humor. Because if you know me personally, I am I am the jokester. I'm the one that will wait an entire year to pull a practical uh, April Fool's joke on you and have it ready to the T. So that's where I first thought about it is like my inappropriate humor. And then I said, wait a minute. No inappropriate who wants grief in their life grief is always inappropriate so that's where the inappropriate grief coach come from because there's if if somebody wants grief please call, please please email me and say i am the first in line for grief <laughs> i will give it to you in the form of a roast <laughs> there you go <laughs> i'm kidding but um yeah that's that's where you can find me inappropriategriefcoach.com and i'm also on Instagram at inappropriate grief coach and Facebook as well. Thank so you. those are some places you can find me. I also wanted to add one thing. You were talking about the stages earlier and everybody should know what the stages are by now. But one thing I don't know, people look at that as a model for grief. It actually wasn't designed to be a model for grief at all. It was designed to be a model for people that were facing a diagnosis and it just kind of adapted into like the grief model. So it's kind of widely been misinterpreted, but it is still in that model of grief. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross never intended on it to be 
grief. She intended on it to be like for a diagnosis, facing death. Really important part to add because unexpected diagnosis or or prolonged illness or that is a level a different level of grief because you're in it for a long time from people in my life who are facing these challenges right now people very near and dear to my heart it is a very cyclical pattern of okay and then you it it you can almost watch the cycle happen but they're that's interesting to me. I didn't realize that that's where that originally started. That was the beginning stages of it. I had no idea either. And then as I started learning, I said, that actually makes sense because after the death, you don't really, how can you bargain after somebody dies? Death is final. You can't bring them back. Mm -hmm. And so I was glad that I learned that, but it's still misinterpreted to this day as far as the five stages. Right. Right. How would you differentiate if someone needs mental health support versus the supports that you're able to provide as a grief coach and trauma specialist? I would have to have an initial session with them and kind of see where they're at on their grief journey. If they are not ready to be held accountable for their action or their inaction, If they are still experiencing like tremendous bouts of sadness to to where they're not functional, that's where I could not help them. But I would do the initial call with them just to kind of see where they're at. I can make the referral to mental health if I felt like they needed it or just recommend it to them because I definitely don't want to try to help someone or try to work with them through their grief if they're not in a place where they are actually ready to work with it. Again, so vitally important because the only thing I can compare it to is as a medium, if someone comes to me and they've recently lost someone and they're so raw, they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to function through it. If they wait a few months or or have some time to acclimate, it allows what I can bring through to have more meaning and bring more solace because they're they're more open to it. Whereas it's a time factor sometimes for people. Absolutely. And I think people think that the first year is probably the hardest in grief because you're really getting acclimated to everything. Me personally, I don't I don't remember a lot about the first year that after I lost my mom. I know I made a lot of dumb decisions and I made a lot of good decisions, but I don't remember a lot. It wasn't until that second year where the fall kind of started lifting and I was able to kind of feel maybe not more like my normal self, but feel like how I was going to navigate my life without her in it, because it is a new normal. I'm coming up on the anniversary of my mother's passing, and it's been quite a while, but I would be a liar to say it didn't change me forever. And that it still comes back in waves. And I'm a medium and I know she's, I know, I mean, she's let me know she's okay and all that stuff. But as someone who's still here, I think that that's a really, I think we need to be gentle with ourselves and not say I should be over this by now. Or why do I still cry all these years later? Or why do I still feel the need to, have this same conversation that I've had, you know, for my entire life with someone who's been off the planet for a while. You have to just find the way that it works for you and find people who will support you and understand that you need some gentleness. You need some, sometimes we have, it goes back to what you said about we get three to five days of bereavement. There is no timeline. No, there's, there's no timeline. And when you say grief can come in waves, you can just be in the grocery store and walk by the apples and all of a sudden cry because, oh my God, she loved apples and these are so beautiful. I'd love to buy her one. And people are looking at you like you're a complete nutcase and you're just crying because she loved apples. And that's okay. I mean, people need to know it's okay if you feel those moments of sadness. Are you going to feel like a nut? Probably. But you know what? 
who cares if that's what helps you get through your grief, then cry at the damn apples. Think expressing and releasing that emotion. If you have to scream into a pillow or cry in the shower or take a walk by yourself and yell at the night sky, it doesn't, you have to release that, that emotion. And even if you're mad at the person that died, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is okay. I think it's really, it's part of it. It's part of the process. It's definitely part of the process. And Denise, I know you've lost your both your mother and father. I've lost both my mother and father. And does it ever get easier being an orphan? Someone had told me that years ago that you'll, when you lose both your parents, you'll, you'll have that stage of feeling like you're an orphan because you're the next generation up. You know, there's no one above you now. What's really, really cool is that with what's happening now for many of us, we're able to integrate that ancestral lineage and do the healing work that they may not have been able to address when they were here. So that's another whole aspect of this grief work that we're talking about is you may be able to process through your own grief, something, someone that you lost wasn't able to express in their lifetime. And maybe as a sensitive, that's one of the reasons you feel it was such an intensity is that you're not only processing what you're going through, but what your loved one or your pet or your friend or whoever wasn't able to work through while they were here. Absolutely. And th- and you're right. It is such a big part of the work is the, the generational trauma. That is a big part of work too, because I have done my own work and it's hard. It's, it's hard doing your own work, let alone helping people. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Your, your really, your kindness, your compassion just emulates through everything that you're saying, but you're also, you, you are very humble in not sharing your level of experience and expertise in this field. And I think that that's really important for anyone who may reach out to you that you've done a lot of training. You've had your own personal challenges. You've overcome grief in many, many aspects of your own life. So you have a compassion and understanding of where people really are on their journey and your goal to help people find heart again, find hope, find joy is a beautiful, beautiful gift. So thank you. You are very welcome. And I appreciate you having me on as well. Well, again, it's Jennifer at inappropriategriefcoach.com. Please check her out in her amazing services. If you need some somewhat dark, somewhat funny humor, check out her, her Instagram, Inappropriate Grief Coach. And thank you all for listening. And remember that it doesn't matter what you came here to do. It's going to help someone. Find what lights up your heart and start walking in that direction. Take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.